Hello, everyone. It is good to be with you, and let me add my welcome to all of you and all of us who are in some other venue watching in. It's great to open up God's Word for a few moments and, and see what He has to say to us today. You know, years ago when I was a poor seminary student, uh, just before I became a very poor seminary professor and preacher, <laughs> we lived not too far from the Dallas Seminary campus down in Dallas, and it was quite close to a, a large Target store. And, and every year, as the temperatures dropped, a mass of birds, thousands and thousands of birds flocked to that target and the surrounding area and just, just sat there, perched in whatever they could find space to perch on and, and, and relieving themselves everywhere and just squawking at each other, just heckling all the shoppers as they went into, into target. It was if you've ever watched the, the famous horror movie, you know, Alfred Hitchcock's The, the Birds? It, it felt like that, just everywhere. Uh, and it was quite a sight. It was, it was, I think, part of their migration down to Mexico for, for warmer weather, which is not a bad idea when it's cold. I don't know. I'm no bird expert. I know they weren't shopping, but they were there, and they were noisy, and they were distracting, and yet they were captivating. And one of the things about that little area was all the roads that led toward that target were, of course, lined with electric cables and masts, right? And, and all the birds were perched on them, just thousands of them. And so one day as I was sort of stopped in traffic, I remember just sitting there, just thinking about life, when suddenly there was a, a, a flash of light and a, a little bit of a, a bang and, and a sizzling sound, and it was coming from one of the transformers in one of those electric uh, masts, and suddenly about a dozen birds dropped to the ground, just fried, <laughs> sizzled there. And I was kind of laughing at myself because the, these birds are just sitting there perched, watching the world go by, smiling and heckling at one another, and uh, they think we've just put all this stuff up there because we're nice, and we want them to watch traffic like, like it's their NASCAR race to watch. But as I thought about what happened to them, I learned a powerful lesson, I think, about my life. These birds were completely ignorant, completely unaware of the par that was flowing between their clenched little feet on those cables. And they represented me as I sat there sort of chuckling at them, sort of falling from that mast, I thought, hang on a minute. That's me. More often than not, uh, as a believer, I'm just going about life from A to B, uh, hopefully not being a nuisance to too many people, but completely unaware of the presence and the incredible power of God that is available to me. They were no different than, than me, and if, if my observation is correct with, with many believers that I've come to know, perhaps they represent or illustrate a truth in your life too. Do you live functionally, daily aware of the incredible power that God has placed at your feet, that is available to you, that God has given and placed within you? You might go through life perched somewhere, 
watching the world go by. Perhaps smiling, perhaps heckling, I don't know, but unaware that God himself has made available to you his power to fulfill his purposes in your life and in his plans for the ages. This week I had you read, or the last few days I had you read Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It's, it's a beautiful little verse that speaks of two types of Christians. It says this, for those, those believers who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This year we're going through the book of Acts, and we call it the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's a bit of a misnomer. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and the early church to spread the gospel, to call people to life with God, and to fulfill God's purposes in the world. And and, and it's 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 a book that is active today. We are part of that same group. So I want you to focus your minds and set your minds and your outlook on the things of the Spirit. And that's what we've been doing last week. That's what we're doing today. That's what we're doing next week. Just taking a little tiny mini-series inside of the book of Acts to look at the Holy Spirit and who He is and, and what He does and what He's doing today through you, potentially. So this morning, I want to show you three ministries of the Holy Spirit, just three. He has multiple ministries. I'm going to look at three, and then Pastor Cody's going to come back next week and, and look at a few more. And, and there are three beautiful realities that I want you to understand, and then I want you to live in light of, but because it's incredible. It's incredible the power of God that is available to us to live for Him well. Now, the first reality that I want you to see this morning is this, that upon belief, the Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. Upon belief, the Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. All believers, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and received His forgiveness, you're a believer, you've been converted, you're born again. If that's you, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. There's no exceptions. There's no exceptions The Spirit of God resides within you. He lives in you, and that's a beautiful truth. Now, this pops up in several places in the New Testament, uh, but I want to focus on two passages, and they're in your sermon notes. And the first one is 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 19 and 20, and it says this, Do you not know, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to Christians, speaking to the Corinthian Christians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's within you, whom you have from God. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What, what Paul is saying there is that God bought you. You belong to Him. And when God bought you, and the you here is singular, you as an individual, you personally, When God bought you personally through the price that was paid in the Lord Jesus Christ, you became the residence of God. Of the many things that happened upon your conversion, you became God's house. You became God's home. 
Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and took up residence in your life. That's a fact. No exceptions. But I want you to note that you're no regular housing structure. You're not just the average home in a neighborhood. You're, you're not a place that's like maybe a, a hotel, and you're not, certainly you're not a shed, and, and you're not an A. Airbnb kind of location. What, what this passage tells us is that you're a temple. That's a very specific type of residence. You're a temple. You're not a shed. You're not a hotel. You're not an RV. You're a temple. What happens in temples? The gods live in temples, and the gods are worshipped in temples. And Paul is piggybacking off of that truth to declare that God himself, the only God, has taken residence up in your life as a temple. And so what he expects is to be worshipped there in your life as an individual, personally. But look at the other passage that I have for you there in 1 Corinthians. It's in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where Paul is talking, among other things, of the same truth, the indwelling of the Spirit, he says this, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So we have that truth reiterated again, but there's a slight difference that occurs in this passage relative to the other one, and it's it's to do with that second person, pronoun. In this case, it's no longer singular, it's plural. It's, it's you, meaning you all, or like you say, y'all. Y'all are God's temple. The Spirit of God dwells in all of you as individual believers, but all of us as the body of Christ. And that's a remarkable truth. But again, what's reiterated is that we're not, we're not a shed, we're not a hotel, we're not an RV, we're a temple. A place of worship is where God has chosen to dwell in you personally and in us as a local fellowship. That's a remarkable truth. And I don't know if it, it lands as powerfully in your life as it should. You really have to understand the broader story of the Scriptures, the history of the ages, to really capture how significant that is and what a privilege it is to host God, to have Him reside within your life. You see, God created this earth and this entire realm, the entire universe, as a temple palace complex. As a, as a kingdom in which he would dwell. It's not that God was needing a new house. Like he, he, he dwells in the heavenlies. He has places in which he can be other than here. But he chose in his wisdom to create an entire universe in which he would dwell. And that entire universe is a temple because he is God. And he did it incredibly and magnificently, right? Open your eyes, look around you. Creation, just in this little speck in the universe, is beautiful. It's full of glory. It's full of beauty. Because it houses God himself. It expresses his glory and his creation. But it also casts back up to him 
praise and glory as it functions as he designed it to function. Because God wanted to dwell in a kingdom on earth with us. Now, you know the story of the Scriptures. We stain that with sin and rebellion. We did, and, and, and God can't just ignore that because God has integrity. And for God to dwell here now with us in sin, He would have to act out in judgment, just judgment, because He's a holy God. And so He set in motion a plan of redemption, a plan of reconciliation of His temple cosmos complex to be restored back to Him. And throughout history, he, he gave His people Israel a little tabernacle, which was just a little tent, and it was portable, but it was to house God. The God who had removed Himself from His creation because of sin decided for a season to live among His people there. And so they had to be very careful as to how they built that structure and how they functioned and did life around that structure because God was in town dwelling among them. That tabernacle was replaced by the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, a fixed structure, which when you read in First and Second Kings, it's, it's building and the ceremony to inaugurate it and launch it, it's beautiful. And if you track with all that's there, you realize, oh my goodness, this temple was built as a little tiny microcosm of the entire universe. The God who was to dwell in the universe with us and was sort of banned or ejected by our sin decided to then fix his locale inside of this temple structure. The Scriptures also go on to talk about one day in the future when God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And that description there echoes in many ways Genesis 1 and 2, the original creation, because that's going to be a temple palace complex in which God is going to dwell with His people, with the redeemed people. God, my point is this, God takes very seriously where He dwells, and we should too, because in the era in which we live in today, you, singular, you all, plural, are God's temple. God dwells in your life if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God dwells among us if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should take that as not just a wonderful blessing, but a wonderful responsibility. It's a blessing in the sense that you have access to God every second of the day. It's a blessing in that you can fellowship with God you can talk to God. You can serve God. And ultimately, because you're a temple, you must worship God with whatever activities fill out your days. So it's a wonderful privilege, but it's also a, a dangerous truth. And it should put a little bit of the fear of God in your life. And let me explain to you why just from those passages. If you look back up at 1 Corinthians 6 and just glance your eyes around the context there, if you have a, a copy of the Scriptures open, you'll find there that the context in which Paul says that you as an individual believer are the temple of God, the context is sin. He's talking about sin in the lives of the Corinthian believers. 
He's asking them to stop engaging in the sinful activities that they're engaging in because they're not in keeping with true worship of the God who dwells inside of them. If you're his temple, you're done with sin, is what Paul is saying. And then in that other passage, 1 Corinthians 3, the second passage we read earlier, where we're, collectively we're all the temple of God, the context is also sin. Paul is telling them, stop bickering, stop fighting, stop being so divisive, stop, stop heckling one another, because your sacred space, your holy space, all of us together as believers, and, and, and y'all's divisive behavior is destroying the purpose of a temple. It's not in keeping with the acts of worship of God. So all to say that the first beautiful reality that I need you to grasp today, a ministry of the Spirit in your life, is that He dwells in you. The Spirit of God resides in your life, and that should motivate you to live for Him, to live as a great host, as we have in the sermon notes there. That should evoke in you a desire to live as a, as a great host of God. You host God, that your personal life and that our communal life as a fellowship would be hospitable to God, that we would live like we're a temple, that we would live like we're sacred space for His worship. Now, that means that, that, that you should delight in his residence, right? You want, if a guest, if I, I hope, if I were to come to your home and you were to treat me like a guest, I would hope that you would treat me in a certain way, right? I, certainly if you came to my home, I'd want to, to, to make you comfortable. I'd, I'd want to make your stay as pleasant as I could possibly make it. I would love you to enjoy and delight in your time with us. I certainly wouldn't want you leaving thinking, what a horrible little home to be in. What a messy little lot that Murphy family are. You don't want to live like, like if God could write a, a review on TripAdvisor from his stay with you, that it would be anything but five stars. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to go back to. Now, the analogy breaks down, of course, because God indwells us permanently. He doesn't leave. But you still want to be a, a good host. You still want your life personally to be of, of delight to Him. And we want our lives communally as a church in this part of the world to host God well so that He enjoys His time with us. You have the ability to make the Holy Spirit stay a delight. And we have the ability to make the Holy Spirit stay an act of worship because you're a temple and we're a temple of the Most High God. So the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And, and so I want you to live as a great host. But there's a second reality that emerges here in, 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 in these passages that Paul presents for us. And, and, and the second one is this, that upon belief, upon conversion, the Christian is also sealed by the Spirit. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been sealed by the Spirit. Again, no exceptions. This happened at the moment in which you entrusted your life through faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit didn't just indwell you. He sealed you. It's a one-off event that is not repeatable. It's happened. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 
verses 13 and 14. Now, this pops up elsewhere, but I'm just focusing on this passage. Here's what it says. In him that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So what he's saying, in Christ, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit not only indwells you, but seals you. Verse 14, and he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The concept of, of sealing is important here, wouldn't you agree? And it's, it, speaks of, it speaks of ownership. It speaks of authority. It speaks of security. In the ancient world, uh, when someone important, say a king, sent a, a letter somewhere, they would sign off on it with their seal. And so they'd pour a little bit of hot wax and they'd use maybe a signet ring that was theirs and uniquely theirs and put their imprint on it. And then when it would dry at room temperature then, the, the letter would be sent out with the seal of the authority of the sender, usually a king. Or they might even roll it up as a scroll so that someone wouldn't open it. And they would close it over with a seal. And if the seal was broken or tampered with when it arrived at its destination, then the receiver would know that that had been tampered with and, and that that was not good. It was not to be opened until it was in the hands of the one who was receiving it. Years ago, my family and I, as you know, moved from Northern Ireland back to, to Dallas. And I know I saw the light eventually. I was converted to return to Texas. And the movers came in with this massive uh, container, like a shipping container. And they put it outside the house and they just grabbed everything in the house and they put it in there. And then at the end of the day, they called me over and they locked that container and they put a little plastic seal on it. But the plastic seal on it had a little space where I could sign my name. And they told me, that will not be broken until it's opened up by you at its destination. In that case, it was Texas. And so off this little container went. And it took about four months, you know, bubbling along in the Atlantic Ocean, I'm assuming, and then eventually sitting somewhere in Houston, I think, and then up to Dallas, until it arrived at our new home in Texas. And wouldn't you know, when I went to the container, there was that seal, and it was unbroken with my name that I had written right across it. In, in that case, the sender was me. I owned that stuff. And as it made its journey sealed and secure to me, the receiver, four months later, I could see, I could tell that it hadn't been tampered with. Nobody had broken in there to steal the stuff from me. It was secure. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what's happening. He's telling us that, that God saved us and God sealed us. And as he sends us into the world to serve him, it will be until one day God will receive us and grant us our inheritance. When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved, that included the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And it's not a, it's not a little bit of wax he poured on us to say, oh, this guy's mine. 
And it's not a little certificate that he gave us that, that, that says, okay, you know, hand that in at, at the end of life and, and you can be assured because of that piece of paper that, that, that you're mine. No, God himself is the seal. He's the seal who guarantees our salvation. Your salvation, what I'm saying is, it's unbreakable. It's, it's, it cannot be undone. It's irreversible. You can't tamper with it because you're tampering with him. He's the seal that guarantees your future inheritance. He's a better seal than, and he's a better guarantee than anything that the world can offer you, right? I, 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 when I asked my wife to, to marry me, I, I gave her a ring. And that little ring was a, as a pledge from me to her that in some time we're going to be married. And I wear a ring and she wears a ring. And it's, it's a pledge to one another that we're married. But, but, but I don't have the, the fidelity that the Holy Spirit of God has. Now, in his strength, I, I have vowed and I commit to be faithful to her. But, but what we're hearing here through Paul is that the faithful and the powerful God has pledged to you that what's coming your way down the line in salvation is going to happen. It's secure. And so I'd love you to live secure in God's guarantee. That's the second sort of application that emerges out of this beautiful truth. That you live secure in God's guarantee, that you don't live in doubt, that you don't live in doubt concerning your salvation in Him. You are His, and so you are safe. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God saved you and you cannot unsave yourself. He's the seal. It won't be broken. It's guaranteed. Charles Ryrie is a, was a theologian of yesteryear. He's with the Lord today. And, and he was a mentor to many at Dallas Seminary, including our own Pastor Ted Kitchens. But he says it beautiful, beautifully in one of his works. He says, no believer can become unsealed on his way to heaven. Beautiful. I can't unseal myself. I'm secure in the hands of God. So you're indwelt by the Spirit, and you're sealed by the Spirit. And here's a third reality very, very quickly that I want you to grasp and live in light of. And it's this, that upon belief, the Christian is baptized by the Spirit. Upon belief, the Christian is baptized by the Spirit. No exceptions again. He didn't miss some of you. All believers at the moment of conversion have been baptized, and it's not a repeatable act. Many confuse the baptism of the Spirit with the filling of the Spirit. That's a separate ministry of the Holy Spirit, which we're not going to touch on today. But look at 1 Corinthians 12 in your sermon notes. Uh, and let me read those verses to you where it pops up. It pops up elsewhere as well, of course. But it says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. Now, very, very Quickly, let me explain to you what, what this means. Baptism, just the, the, the literal word just means to dip into something. To dip something into something else. To, to submerge it in some, some other item, product. 
That's what it means at a literal level. And water baptism, which we saw at least in this venue uh, today, it speaks of a believer being dipped in water as an outward expression of what God has done in that person's life, right? They have been, they have been saved. They're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their old self is dead, and their, a new creation has emerged. And so we express that through the beautiful visual depiction of being dipped in water, water baptism. That's not what we're talking about here. Here we're talking about spirit baptism. And what Paul is telling us is that upon conversion, the Holy Spirit of the many things that he does dipped you into something. The body. The church. That's the context here that the Holy Spirit upon conversion has dipped you into the body of the church. Yes, you've been baptized into Christ, and so you are identified with Christ. He is your Savior. But you have also been baptized into the body, the church. And so you're part of this family. In the context of 1 Corinthians 12, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Again, for perhaps next week. And what Paul is trying to tell believers is that you're part of this body. The Spirit dipped you into this body, and we need you to be active. Because a body cannot be healthy if its limbs and other aspects, other organs of its body aren't actively functioning. What Paul is calling them is essentially this, I believe, that you live as an active family member. That's the application that I want you to take home with you from that teaching, that you have a responsibility to live as an active family member, that you participate rather than spectate, that we're less than if you're inactive, that we need you and you need us, and that ultimately we will not be able to fulfill the mission that God has placed on our fellowship's life, right, to, to, to be and, and to make and to reach this society for Jesus Christ, unless we're all involved, that we participate rather than spectate. You, you can't be a believer and not be in the body, is what Paul is saying there. No, you can't be a believer and not be an active functioning member of the body, sitting, spectating, but if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were baptized by the Spirit into this fellowship. And that requires you as a family member to step up and to serve and to express and use your gifts for the benefit of those around you and for the glory of God. So live as an active family member. So those three things are just the start of the many beautiful ministries of the Spirit that are available to the believer. He, uh, he, he sealed you. He indwells you. He baptized you. Our time is gone. Let me, let me close with a little illustration that I, I hope will be helpful to you this week. It's certainly helpful to me as I've reflected about this, this wonderful truth. A few months ago, I was walking past my youngest son. You know him well, James. He's now seven. And as I was walking past him, he sort of kidnapped me. He grabbed me and pulled me into the utility room, and he kind of looked around to see if his other siblings were watching. He didn't want them to see, and I thought, this is fascinating. I love it already. <laughs> and so he signaled to me down, and he kind of pulled me down so that my ear was beside his mouth. And he put his little hands up to his mouth, 
and he whispered into my ear, and I think he was covering it, you know, like the football coaches do, so that lip readers don't, don't see what he's saying. That's what I think he was doing, in case the other kids caught wind of this. And he whispered into my ear, Dad, I know a secret. You want to hear it? Yeah, of course I want to hear this. In fact, I wanted to say, I'm a preacher. This is a great moment. I need to go get a pen and paper and write this down because this will find its way somewhere at some point to help someone learn something about God. And so here we have it. So I said, yes, I want to hear it. Absolutely. And he began to tell me about the Silk Road. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Silk Road, but it was an ancient system network of roads for travel and for trade back in the ancient world. And he'd been learning about it in school. And so I was fascinated by his sort of summary lesson on the Silk Road. But he said this, you know what the secret to the journey on the Silk Road was? And he looked around him. Again, as if, this is just for you and me, Dad. And he goes, camels. And I went, camels. And he says, yes, dad, camels. You know what camels are? Well, I do know what camels are, but I I felt like I'd have a little bit of fun. I said, yes, I know camels. They're like little rabbits, right? And he goes, no, dad, camels are big animals, and they carry all the stuff that makes its way to the shops. And, and, and that's why the Silk Road's important. It's because of camels, because if the camels aren't there, they can't get the stuff to the shops. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. But he says, but that's not the secret, Dad. You know why they're so good? It's because they have humps, too. You know what a hump is? And I said, yeah, I know what a hump is. It's like a little rabbit. <laughs> so I, was like, I was having fun with him. Dad, no. And at this point, you could see, like, who is this man? What's, why, why is he obsessed with rabbits? He said, no, Dad, a hump is a hole. It's a hole inside the camel. But that, that's not the big secret. You want to know the secret. You don't know what's in there. And I'm like, yeah, is it like a super potion of some sort? And he goes, it's what makes them able to do their job on that long journey. And I said, what is it? And he said, it's, it's, it's their energy. It's their superpower. What is it, son? Tell me what it is. I need some of that stuff just to get through today. And he goes, dad, it's fattiness. Heavy Fatness, that's what's in there. That's the secret. You don't need some. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking what I'm thinking. Now, I, I, I don't know if he meant you don't need some because you've got plenty of that. I don't think he was fat shaming me at all. I think he was just saying that's just for camels, that substance. But it was, it was, it was a beautiful reminder of me of, of the Holy Spirit. And I know the Holy Spirit won't mind me using that as an analogy. Because he is the secret to your ability to navigate the journey of life until we enter into the new heavens and the new earth. He is the the fatness, the weight, that substance that can empower your life so that you thrive in life for him. Rather than just sit perched, watching traffic, smiling or perhaps heckling at other believers. You were made for way more than that. And God's made himself available in you to dwell in you, to seal you, to baptize you into this body so that we can make him look good in the world, so that we can be and so that we can make. 
And so we can reach 800,000 people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. He's the secret. He's the superpower. He's the fatness. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because it's so helpful to us on a, on a, on a weekly and even a daily basis to understand your ways and to realign our lives to you. And I pray that that will be the experience of every believer who's been listening to this message this morning. But Lord, I'm also aware that there's some who do not know you. Repeatedly this morning, I've said, if you're a believer, if you're converted, if you're born again, you're indwelt, you're sealed, you're baptized. But there's some here who may have been here a long, long time who have never exercised faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have never received your forgiveness through the only means through which it is available. So I pray that you would pursue them this week with this truth and that they will find time to reflect upon their lives and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ through faith and that they would reach out to a pastor, to a friend for help because that would be beneficial to them. Thank you for our moments in your word. Bless us as we go into our week and represent the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we've gathered. Amen.